You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We uh, are going to get right into the word of the Lord. Um, I do want to make one announcement before I dismiss the classes, and that is that we do have a newest member of the church, amen, added this week on Monday, uh, Layla Jane. Thank you, Layla Jane Lawless. And uh, so this morning I got to see her, and uh, in keeping with biblical tradition, I held her for just a few seconds, and I quoted Deuteronomy 6-4 over her, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Amen. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, might. And as I said that, she just cooed a little bit. Perfect. Perfect timing. Right on cue. So, so congratulations to mom and dad. We're excited about that. Amen. We are going to dismiss our children tonight. Our toddler class is going to stay in. Our littles, I know, on the first uh, midweek of the month, we always have our toddler class. We'll keep them in. So we're going to dismiss our youth class. Amen. And uh, the children's class upstairs. And for you good saints that are faithful here tonight, amen, there's, there's several that are sick that aren't able to be here. I've got a blessing for you because we're only going to cover 15 verses of Scripture tonight. So, amen. Look at that. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can be seated. Amen. And I uh, want you to open your Bibles to the Word of the Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Amen. How many love the Word of God? Amen. The Word of God is our strength. It's our, our shield, our defense. It's our guidance. It is the guardrails. Amen. Down the pathway of life. And uh, how many, sometimes you need those guardrails. Amen. Learning as you're going. The Word of God's so powerful. Do you remember when you were a kid? I don't know if they still have these, but you'd go to the little amusement park or whatever, and they'd have the cars that you could drive, and those cars were on the track. You actually could drive it, but if you went too far, there was this center metal thing that went around. You know what I'm talking about? And you could turn as hard, but when you hit that, it just kept you on there. When you let the Word of God get in your life... And, and you allow the Word of God to be leveraged in your heart. Now, you, you don't want to be reckless. Because you don't always want to be bumping. But when the Word of God is your guide, it keeps you on track. Amen. And uh, it, it, it slaps you upside the head when you're making a wrong turn. It says, nope, you got it. You it's a little jarring there sometimes. But it keeps you on the pathway of life. And that's what we need. Amen. So how many thankful for the rumble strips down the highway? All right. So the Word of God has rumble strips in the pathway of life. If you'll learn to listen to it, amen. When your spirit gets out of sync or out of kelter, come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And it's not the way it ought to be. There's, there's a little, you hit that rumble strip in the Holy Ghost. And here's the thing about the rumble strip. If you don't hear it, everybody else around you does. And if you don't know what's going on, everybody else around you does. Well, they just need a good praying through, bless God. You know kind of how that is. 
Amen. But the Word of God leveraging in your life is such, it's, it's just so powerful. So I can't live without His Word. It's, it's as, as uh, the psalmist said, it's, it's greater than my daily bread. It's more, it's more than my physical bread. Amen. So let's pray and ask God to be with us tonight. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you. We can come back into your house and your presence. Thank you for the word that you've given to us so freely, God, that we can know it, that we can study it, God, that we can see your ways in it, Lord. Thank you. And I pray tonight, Lord, that your spirit would lead us, strengthen us, encourage us, edify us, or challenge us, correct us, have your way in our life tonight. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And we are coming uh, out uh, or, or through a passage of Scripture here in our series, The Wisdom of God, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is now responding to questions that they have asked him. And one of the questions that they asked him, for those that may not have been here the last couple of weeks, one of the questions was, the, the uh, things uh, as touching things offered to idols. And so this segment or discourse in 1 Corinthians begins in chapter number 8. And when we get to chapter number 10, what's the first word of chapter number 10? Moreover. So that lets us know that Paul is continuing. He is continuing on in the same discourse in the same manner. And this is such a rich, powerful part of Scripture. Now, uh, we don't deal with the context of eating meats offered to idols like, like they did. Uh, it has no bearing, let's say, in that commandment upon us as we would normally think. But the issue is so relevant to us in application. It is so relevant to us because here was the issue. Allow me to recap just real quick to bring us back to consensus so we have an understanding. In their culture, in the Corinthian culture, it was a highly paganized, uh, idolatrous culture. There were many, many pagan temples in the city of Corinth. Um, I think 25 or, or 26, something like that, plus all these other gods that they had. And so they were often... Uh, their whole culture, the whole subset of their culture was about these idols and worshiping these idols. And the meat, uh, the meat factor uh, in, in the economy was they would bring meat and they would give a portion of it to the temple for the priest. That which was left over for sacrifice would be sold in the market. Sometimes the temples were such a commonplace uh, that people would, there would always be feasts going on in the temple that people would go there and even conduct business and sit down like a place of commerce in the temple. And, and some historians say it would have been so common, sort of like in our culture, us, the equivalent of us going to an event and there being a reception afterwards, there would be food and we would eat of the food, but the food would actually, the event would actually be held in the pagan temple. So it was a common thing. So if you're living your life um, as a lot of the, the Jews would, they were very diligent about what they ate. And, and there were so much pagan offerings that that was where the uh, practice of them having their own delis, we, we would see it, know it in our culture as like glatt kosher delis where they could go where it's kosher food that's 
that's approved. And so they would have their own little markets and places. But the Christians that were converted were saying, look, these idols aren't real. There's no God. I, I, I'm not under the law. I can eat, I can eat whatever I want. God does not, I'm not more spiritual if I'm a, if I'm a, a, a carnivore. I'm not more spiritual if I'm, if I'm vegan or I'm a vegetarian. It doesn't matter. There's only one God. I worship him. I could eat whatever I want. And all the church said, amen. Amen. amen right. Um, and so they were having this argument. So therefore, because they were saying, I can eat whatever I want. There were also some that were saying, well, it doesn't matter if I go into the temple and I just meet up with somebody and I eat the meat. And so Paul is addressing this whole issue because there was major contention in the church. Some were saying, you can't eat any meat. Uh, some were saying, no, I can eat all the meat I want, however I want. And Paul's trying to bring some major principles into play here. So here's how he starts in chapter 8. We'll recap real quickly. He gives us some guiding principles. And the first principle that Paul brings out in chapter 8 is that conscience trumps knowledge. Okay, so this is an important point. Conscience trumps knowledge in this. That means if you think it is wrong to eat meat, don't defy your conscience uh, to eat the meat, or don't, if someone else thinks it's wrong to eat meat, don't defy their conscience or offend their conscience by eating the meat. And so that's a powerful principle because Paul is letting us know that when you don't have sufficient knowledge and understanding, don't ever go against your conscience. And we, we touched on that here. He says, uh, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Uh, we know we all have knowledge. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. This is in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. So he's, he's building this... Uh, this argument about knowledge, love, about conscience here. And he's saying, don't offend a brother. The other prevailing principle that we talked about was Christian charity restricts Christian liberty. Now, that was a powerful thing. I spent, uh, uh, we spent two weeks on this. Christian charity restricts Christian liberty. So just because I have a right to do something by the Lord... Paul says there are times where you surrender and you sacrifice your Christian liberties or rights for the sake of charity, not to offend somebody else. And that word offense is used in the truest uh, sense, not in the sense today where somebody says I'm offended because Paul is not saying that you can't live in such a, don't live in such a way where you don't offend anybody. And there's always going to be somebody that's going to be offended by something. What he's saying is not somebody saying, well, I don't like the way you're doing that. No, he's saying your offense in the sense that you're causing them to trip or to stumble. For instance, if you think something is wrong, a, a sin, which in this case, they thought eating meat offered to idol was a sin. Absolutely. Didn't matter whether somebody gave it to me free or whatever. Then if I'm alone and I'm starving to death and this is the only meat that we have, Paul's saying, look, there's only one God. It doesn't matter. I'm going to eat the meat. It doesn't change anything. But if there's someone here and I do something, they know I'm a spirit-filled Christian believer and they see me doing something that in their conscience is wrong, 
I now have caused offense because they don't have understanding why this is not wrong. They think it's wrong, but they're seeing somebody who is a Christian doing something in their mind that is sinful or is wrong. And now they lessen their, they go against their conscience and they sin against their conscience, not understanding why it's not not acceptable, and they've got an offense. Because from there, they're thinking, well, if I can do this and get away with it, well, then how many other sins can I do and get away with it? And they start living a life like that where they're constantly offending their conscience. And conscience, I'm going to tell you, your conscience is one of the greatest gifts God has given to you. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Because our conscience teaches us, amen, have you, ever, have you ever set out to do something, but that little nagging conscience says, you ought not do this. Oh, man. Now, now I can't do it and not feel bad. Or I have to offend my conscience and say, conscience, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to do whatever I want. So Paul gives us two principles. He said, Christian charity, my love for other people, is going to not do something they think is wrong because I don't want to offend their conscience. I don't want to make them, I don't want to teach somebody. So, so does everybody understand what I'm saying here on this Christian charity restriction? So are there things that God permits that we can do? Yes, there's things that we can do, but there may be other people that we're dealing with that think that doing this is wrong, and so we're not going to do that thing, okay? We're not going to offend that person in that context by doing something. And so that issue right there is very relevant to us in a modern context, and it's very relevant to us in Christians in the Western world, and very relevant to us as apostolics. For that reason alone, there have been a lot of apostolic or church traditions where people say, look, let's, let's make a decision not to do this because we don't want to offend people in thinking we're doing something that we ought not to do. And I made an allusion to that uh, when I was teaching on chapter 8 how um, uh, people in time past would take a hard stand against abstaining from certain uh, uh, community practices like going to the movie house, or the, as they would call it, or the movie theater. Because what, what primarily was prevailing in the movie theaters, uh, and this goes back, you know, sometimes we think that, oh, well, all the new stuff is bad and all the old stuff was just great. Well, you know, there was old stuff that was bad too. Like there was nakedness and pornography and all that stuff, you know, in the black and white era, right? You understand, like like screen era and all of that stuff. So, so some of those those preachers would take principles and they would acknowledge, hey, maybe not everything that's being shown is bad, but as a whole, I'm not going to be seen going into a place and offend somebody, make them think that I'm partaker of something that isn't. Uh, that isn't good, and they look at me and say, well, if they can do that, well then, well, I can, I can go whatever. I can go lie. I can go steal. Go cheat on my wife. Go do whatever. And he says, we're not going to do that. So, so this is what Paul is talking about. Christian charity restricts Christian liberties. And of course, we're in a time warp because now in the day and age, uh, you used to have to go certain places to see things. Who would have ever envisioned that every that the digital devices that we all have tonight, some of you are using for your phones or notes, uh, has the capabilities 
uh, for what it has the capabilities of right now in today's world. And so, so two things, Christian charity restricts Christian liberty. This is what Paul's saying. And then the other thing is that your conscience trumps knowledge. Conscience trumps knowledge in this sense. Now, knowledge prevails. Knowledge is true. Knowledge is what? Truth is what sets you free. But when there is insufficient knowledge, don't defile your conscience. Don't destroy your conscience. The way you redeem your conscience, the way you help your conscience is not by offending your conscience. It's by knowing truth. Truth is what sets you free. Truth is what uh, uh, liberates. Truth is what allows you to have understanding. And so when Paul would go into a city and he began with the Jewish uh, believers and he would try to preach to them that God has come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and as he would preach to them, he would then teach them, look, we are not bound by the law. The law is a type to teach us and show us the things of Christ. And so then... They were liberated by their knowledge, but there were some, and this was an issue, some Jewish Christians that still believed that it was imperative they carried out their Jewish traditions. And so for the sake of not offending them, Paul in one place is in a major strong defense I mean, he's in a public heated debate with the Apostle Peter over the issue uh, of, 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 of duplicity, of playing uh, multiple sides and not being fully honest over the issue of circumcision and other things. And then in another case, Paul is taking Timothy uh, or he's taken, he's taken others with him. And when he goes to minister so that they don't offend, they... They, uh, they are circumcised, even though Paul doesn't believe that it is required by the Scripture, so that they are not offending. So, folks, this, this was something that Paul not only preached, but he lived and he practiced. I'm not going to offend somebody. So we have to be careful when, when we exercise our Christian liberties and our rights that we don't do so to the offense of someone else. And we don't take those rights and make those things something that's selfish. So how, what are you saying, pastor? Why are you talking to us about this on a Wednesday night? What is this? Here's what, here's what I'm saying. This is so important that we don't walk into the church and say, everything's about me. It's all about me. It's only about me and you don't matter. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do with no regard to anybody else. Paul says, in Christian community, we cannot take that posture and we cannot take that approach that how we live is directly related to those that are around us and to what we do. Now, this is not popular preaching because in today's world, uh, <laughs> we live in an environment, just help me, help me uh, uh, out here a little bit tonight, that if I don't like it, if I'm not comfortable with it, I'll just, I'll just go find another church. I'll just change the channel. I'll just find a preacher that I do agree with. Right. Right. Uh, I don't like this. I don't want, I'm just going to go over here. Paul says, no, that, that's not actually the right spirit. Yeah. That's not actually the right thing. And so just because you're standing there and they were demanding their right, well, this is my right. I ought to, nobody, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me how to. I, I, you've heard me say before, I'll never forget the, the, the friend I grew up with that came to me and told me he was joining the military. And I said, oh, 
So why are you joining the military? So I got sick of everybody telling me what to do. So I just decided I'm going to leave home and I'm going to join the military. Let's see. How does that work? How does that work? Right? I mean, how does that turn out? Right? Yeah. 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 So this is my right. I'm going to demand my right. And and Paul says, no, that's not actually how that works. So now Paul in chapter 9 goes through a an example of, of showing how he himself personally has surrendered his rights, those rights being, he said, I have the right to eat whatever I want, he said, but there's many times where I restrict my diet. He said, I have the right to be married to a believing wife and to travel with her. Uh, uh, but he said, I've surrendered that right for the cause of the, uh, the purpose of the kingdom of God. He said, I have a right to take full compensation from from the from the gospel from the church to receive so that I can fully focus on that he said but there's been times where I have even surrendered that right working with my own hands not to be a burden for the sake and the purpose of the kingdom of the church so it's okay for us to marginalize our rights and our efforts for the cause and the sake of the kingdom and he said the reason why I do this he said, it's because I'm, I'm trying to obtain an incorruptible crown. Just as athletes will self-impose disciplines on themselves to achieve a greater goal, he said, so also we will do that. We will withhold from things. No, I don't need that. How many have said that? No, I'm on a diet. I can't. I want it, but I'm not going to because it's a better goal, whatever. He said, so we ought to do in our Christian life and our faith. So it's in this same vein That Paul then comes to chapter 10, let's read, if we can. Chapter 10, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. So here he is. He's, He's coming to them. They are, first of all, what? Being prideful about how much knowledge they have. I know it is my right. He says, true, but don't be ignorant of this since they're hung up on knowledge. Okay, read on. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and yes. passed through the sea. All right, so now he's making reference to Israel, the nation of Israel. Read on. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Yes. And did all eat the same spiritual meat. All right. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. That yes. Followed them. Yes. And that rock was Christ. All right. So what he just did was he's making the connection here. Uh, He had just come out of chapter 9 saying, look, athletes will self-impose disciplines for a greater goal. We do it not for a a, a crown that's going to fade away, but for an eternal goal and purpose. And so now he says, moreover, be mindful of our fathers. He's talking about the, the... the uh, history of the nation of Israel, which is the fathers uh, uh, of our faith, the example of how God brought them out, how God sustained them. God delivered them out of the house of bondage. God sustains them. Uh, he, they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were, they, they ate manna. They drank supernatural provisions God provided for them. They had spiritual opportunity and blessing. They had the witness. They heard the voice of the Lord. I mean, he's making all of this reference and he's summarizing all of this. If you wanted an experience with God, walking through a Red Sea, watching Pharaoh be drowned, eating manna that falls out of heaven, that manna literally means what is it, eating whatchamacallit every morning, you don't even know what to call it, 
drinking water that comes out of a rock. I mean, how many signs and wonders does God have to do? Going to Mount Sinai and hearing the voice of the Lord. The Bible said that all of Israel heard the voice of the Lord. Seeing fire come down and burn the mountain with smoke. That is an experience with God. I mean, you've got a witness with the Lord. I, I don't know how much closer you can get to God and not get burned. Then that right there, you have everything. Blessing, deliverance, enemies abolished, provision, blessing. I mean, God's doing everything, right? This is what they did. They had the pen ultimate experience with God. Now read verse 5. But with many of them. But with many of them. God was not well pleased. Even if you have the greatest God experience in the world and you think you are so special because of what God has done for you and what you have seen and what you have witnessed, that's not enough. What did he say? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. The generation that saw all the things I just named, right. Scripture tells us that not, not but two adults lived to see the promised land. That's right, Brother Thaddeus. Two adults out of the whole thing survived. What does that tell you? That tells you that spiritual experience isn't enough. Just because you have knowledge, I was there. Yeah, I saw Pharaoh drown. Yeah, I know God can work. I know God can do that. Just because you have, that's not enough. They were all overthrown in the wilderness. What's he saying? He's letting us know something. What's he saying? He just come out of chapter 9 saying, look, you have to be willing to surrender and sacrifice some rights. You have to discipline yourself. You have to keep the main thing the main thing. This isn't just about you. This is about the greater good. This is about the gospel and the kingdom of God. This is about God. This isn't just about you, Israel. This isn't about uh, uh, just, you know, making you be able to have everything you want. This is about taking you out of Egypt and taking you to the promised land and establishing something. There is something bigger that God's wanting to do, but they hadn't even been in the wilderness a few weeks. <laughs> and it became all about them. And this is what Paul is going to tell them. He's letting us know that your heritage, your position, your spiritual access is no guarantee of your spiritual success. Just because you had an experience with God and heard from the voice of God and have seen His mighty hands doesn't put you in a place above the effects and vulnerabilities of sin and the flesh. So you don't walk out of a Sunday night experience, so proverbially to speak, and just think, I'm invincible, I can do whatever. It don't affect me. 
Well, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I can handle it. I can handle it. No. <laughs> no, I, I, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't start thinking that. Because your vulnerabilities can suck you back so quick. And you think, well, well, I can handle it. It's not going to hurt me anymore. It's just one drink. It's just one look. It's just one little thing. And, and, and all of a sudden we start tolerating one little thing here and one little thing there and one little thing there. And it's okay. You know, that's a pretty good song except for that one part. That's a pretty good movie except for that one part. This is a pretty good thing here. All of a sudden... You start thinking, I got this, I got this. This is exactly what Paul is addressing. All right. So now read on, verse 6. Now these things were our examples. Okay. To the intent we should not lust after evil things. Yes. As they also lusted. All right. So now Paul is saying, look, just because you have rights and you have knowledge and you know all and you have experience and you know all of these things. Remember, what's he talking about? He's, he's, he's talking to those who are arguing, we ought to be able to eat whatever we want to eat. There is no God. So if I go in the marketplace and I buy meat, I don't have to worry about whether it was offered to idols or not. I don't know. And Paul said, look, you don't know. If you don't know, then just eat it. You don't know. Pray over it, eat it. But if you willingly, knowingly are taking something that's, that's meat offered to idols, you're probably offending somebody around you. And so now they were so, they were so bold in their argument that it, it's believed that some of them were arguing, if it's my right to eat the meat, it doesn't matter if I eat the meat. Well, if somebody invites me to the temple, to the pagan temple, and I go in there and I eat the meat, I, don't, I know that God's, that, that idol is just a, a, a block of stone. It's a block of wood. I know it doesn't matter what they did. I know that there's nothing to it. So I eat the meat in the pagan temple, and, and there's no effect. And Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are you doing? He's getting ready to warn them who are demanding, it's my right, I ought to be able to do this. So if I was going to put this into play, just because they serve the most wonderful steak at at the local strip club, Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm just there for the steak. I'm just there for the wings. I'm just there for the, come on. Nobody going to help me preach. I'm just there for the buffet. So Paul says, okay, hold on a minute. Let's think about this. Let's think about this. He said, these things are our examples to the intent that we should not, now this is interesting, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Just because you have been filled with the Spirit, baptized in Jesus' name, does not put you above human lust. My pastor told me something when I was younger. He said, Andrew, I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, and I would think, I would pray to God that I would have strength to resist 
anything. I, I, I would pray that I could keep my convictions, that I would stay faithful to the Lord. He said, but I am not going to test myself by putting myself in a room alone with a naked woman. That's a pretty good principle. I'm not going to subject myself and think, oh, I'm above this. Do you see how relevant this passage of Scripture is to us today? Where this brings this right down to where we are living. And Paul is saying just because you've had an experience with God, that does not, right, that does not lift you beyond the vulnerabilities of the flesh and the lust of the flesh. Don't walk, don't make the mistake of walking out of a Holy Ghost experience and saying, well, I'm invincible. No, you still have to guard your heart. You still have to live holy. You still have to live righteous. You still have to live uh, uh, um, uh, circumspect. You still have to be careful. You walk circumspectly through this world. Thank God for the liberties, amen, that he's given us. But I thank God for the boundaries and the parameters and the guardrails and the guidelines that are put there, not for my restriction, but for my protections. And so don't throw off all restraints just because you've been set free. Don't throw off all restraints. We still invite the covering and the protection of the Lord. We're not under a slave master anymore, but we are still, we ought to still be willingly submitted to the authority of the Lord in our life. Amen. So it is not out of uh, uh, it is not just out of um, kind of like a dominant thing that I go to the Lord, but it's willingly seeking His will. God, what is your will? I don't want to do something without your will because I want to live within the protection of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And so I subject myself to the authority of God that I may be kept from the authority of sin in my life That'll take me where I don't want to go. And lead me down a path that I didn't want to end up. And this is what he's talking about. Okay? These things were our examples. So Paul now is doing something powerful. He's going to do it again. He's endorsing the Old Testament Scripture. This is an example for us. Amen for us to use. All right? So now the next four verses... And he lets us know, he, he puts all these things under the lust of their flesh, but he, the next four verses have three components. And he's going to give us four verses, four things that Israel did. Now, I have taught from this passage here before. I think it may have been in 2018. And I took two weeks and I taught it, Warnings from Israel's History. And, and this is a good model to go back, a good... Uh, thing to mark in your Bible or make a note. These are warnings for Israel's history. What does somebody who's had a relationship or encounter or experience with God, here are things that we need to guard against. So now in these next four verses, he's, each verse is going to have three components. The first component being the, the verse starts out with a command. The second component is it then gives the comparison uh, uh, the allegory or the what Israel actually did, and then it concludes with either scriptural support or the result of the sin. So it's going to show you what happens when you don't follow the command. So it's giving here us uh, uh, 
uh, something for us to see. So let's read through these four verses, uh, if, if we will. Neither be idolaters. So the first command is <laughs> don't be idolaters. Yes? As were some of them. As were some of them. As it is written. Yes. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. All right. So without going into a long uh, discourse on this, idolatry is what the children, while they were at Mount Sinai, you remember the story, Moses goes up the mountain. He's up there for 40 days. 40 days he's on the mountain. When Moses goes to the top of the mountain, he's in the cloud of glory for seven days before the Lord speaks to him. Then the Lord begins to speak. And then for the next 33 days, God speaks to him. That's pretty incredible. That's a pretty incredible thing. Uh, but the people of Israel got impatient and they thought, well, maybe Moses has died and he's not here. And so instead of praying to God, who had just all done all the wonderful things, they go back to their idolatry. And the, the absurdity of this is so crazy. But how many of us in our life have done something that then after we've done it, we've like, that doesn't even, why did I do that? That didn't even make sense. And they go back to that. They, they go and, you know, they come and they, they bug Aaron so bad that Aaron says, okay, bring all your, your earrings, whatever the gold you took, and they melt it down and they create this golden calf, which is an Egyptian-type figure that, that, that they learned to worship in Egypt. And then when they set up and they begin to worship the calf, what actually happens is they commit, it is a, a, a mass, public, gross, uh, sexual immoral activity that takes place. That's how crazy it is. Um, and the Bible doesn't hide anything about that. It doesn't get into the explicit details, but you can imagine how the significance of that. The point being this, when they go back to idolatry and they create their own God, whenever you create your own God, you create your own justification for the, for the lust of the flesh, for the things that you want to do. Idolatry is making God anything you want him to be, it to be. And we can do that even in church today where we reject and refuse to, to acknowledge God or know God for who he is and we make him the God we want. Idolatry is when we make God something that justifies ourselves. One of the one of the uh, uh, the biggest things in in, in uh, uh, more modern times is when the church, uh, and I use that term loosely, when a church or a group of people take Scripture and they use it, twist it to justify uh, one of the one of the uh, horrible things. They justify wars or slavery. Prejudice, where people actually take Scripture and they'll twist Scripture and they use it to teach prejudice. And, and that stuff creeps into the church. That was one of the prevailing uh, uh, successful leverages among uh, the, what took place in Germany with the Nazis is that that, that ideology 
of, of, of prejudice and the perfect race crept into, literally crept into the church. And so now you have a twisted kind of form. That's not God. That's an idol that you have said, no, 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 that's not God. God's not the one we're going to wait to hear from. God, God is the one that's speaking to Moses in the mountain that you're supposed to be waiting on. It's when they took God and said, no, this is God, and, and this is how we can worship God. And so they justified, they justified what they wanted to do. Israel did this all throughout their history. Manasseh, the king of Israel, he did, the Bible says he did worse than the pagans because he created idols. And they uh, would worship these idols with all their sexual immorality. Well, you have rampant sexual immorality in a culture, and you have all of a sudden, you have a lot of what the world today would call unwanted pregnancies. What do you do with those unwanted pregnancies? And I'm not making this up. You can go back and do your own research. So to justify, to handle all of this, they created child sacrifice. So ancient cultures, when you go back and look at what their child sacrifice was, they weren't sacrificing the children they wanted. They were sacrificing the children they didn't want, and they created a God that justified that. That same exact thing is taking place today in our world, and it's creeping into the church to where we are justifying that. That's idolatry. When you're, making, when you're making what God says, you're making it something it is not. All right? So he says, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Okay? What's he referencing here? Well, you can go look at your own time. He is referencing Exodus 36, or 32, rather, Exodus 32 and 6. I don't know if they can get that on the screen. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 6. If you have your Bibles, literally the people, uh, uh, there it is, and they rose up early on the morrow and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now God is not, some people use this verse to preach, they used to use this verse to preach against all recreation. God's not against you having a good time. He's not against you enjoying life. But God's against this kind of recreation. And so they just go around and just fill, fill their life with their, the own lust of their flesh. What happened with, with this reference? What happened? Well, 3,000 3, men were executed. Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets in his anger, and you know the story. He melts, melts down the thing makes them drink the gold uh, uh, and it and it and it literally destroys them all right and then in Exodus 32 and 28 we also see this here he comes in and he judges them for their immorality then let's go to 10 10 8 let's read the next verse neither let us commit fornication that's pretty self-explanatory Por pornea that word that's translated fornicate a uh, fornication in our English is that Greek word pornea, which is where we get the term pornography from. So sexual immorality outside the confines of marriage, the, 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 the uh, protections of holy matrimony as established by God. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Yes, 
And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Twenty three thousand people died. Three thousand were executed. And then in Exodus thirty two and thirty five, it tells us that God sent a plague because of the adultery or the immorality that they had at the golden calf. God sends a plague. Another place, Numbers 25, God punishes them for their fornication. Uh, Numbers 25, and and it says there that 24,000 people died as a result of that. So God's judgment for fornication was uh, swift. It was pronounced. Uh, 23,000 people, that's no number to scoff at, no matter how big you are, 23,000 people. That's how God feels. If you've ever wondered, how does God feel about fornication, which fornication includes sexual immor- all sexual immorality outside of marriage, marriage being defined in this context, understood in the Old Testament, one man, one woman, husband and wife. And so uh, people today will say, look, well, I am, uh, I'm not committing the act, I'm just watching it. That, that is participating. Jesus came, and, and, and this was a practice that Jews uh, would take. Well, I'm not, I'm not committing the act. I'm just watching it. Unless I am actually a partaker in it physically, then I'm not a part of that. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and says, when you look on a woman to lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. He said, you're following the letter of the law and you're missing the spirit of the law. Don't let this lust be in you. And remember, Paul is writing this to the church and he's saying, look, don't think that you are so spiritual that you are beyond idolatry or that you are beyond fornication. There ought to be parameters. There ought to be protections. There ought to be things, right things that you do. There are certain things that you don't do. Let your conversation be holy. Let your conduct be holy. In the church, men, women, we ought to have the utmost uh, moderation, modesty, holiness in our interactions with our brothers and sisters in the church. And don't don't let that that wall down and just think, oh, we, we can just disregard this. Paul's saying, no, you're not above the vulnerabilities of your flesh. Praise the Lord. All right, so there is a punishment for fornication. There is, uh, uh, thank God we live under a space of grace. So if you're dealing with that, if you're dealing with pornography, don't think that that's not going to impact your life. Don't fall prey to the lies that say, oh, I'm just looking at, or I can handle this. No, you can't handle this. This is a plague. This was a rot. It will destroy so much. Uh, Who was the uh, serial killer that Dr. James Dobson interviewed? Was it Jeffrey Dahmer? And you can see that. I think they probably have that on YouTube now. But Jeffrey Dahmer was a, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was the son of of a Pentecostal preacher. It, it may not have been a Pentecostal, but his dad was a pastor. He was raised in a biblically-based home. But he got, uh, and he says in the interview that he, his pathway into pornography started uh, through the J.C. Penny catalog or the Sears catalog or something like that. 
uh, in the underwear lingerie section as a young man, and he got he got hooked on that. He got, uh, and then he went uh, he went from that onto something else. That ought to be a lesson right there for every mom and dad in this place. I know we don't do we don't do, get mail catalogs anymore, but my goodness, you have to be careful on every little uh, cartoon, every little device that you show your kid for what announcement's going to come up. And we have, to, we, we have to be careful and think, oh, well, that, that's not that bad. But you don't know the vulnerabilities of that person or that place or where you're at or you yourself to think, well, I can handle this. No, 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 no. Keep yourself accountable. I, 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 I don't mean to get into this, but I keep myself accountable. My wife knows where I am at at all times, who I am with at all times has understanding. Put, put those accountabilities in your life. You ought to welcome accountability in your heart. If you are shunning from accountability, that is signaling all the wrong things. Not only does my wife know where I'm at at all times, I have other people that can at any point at least track my phone and know where that's at. I, I, you ought to invite accountability in my heart. Right? What have I got to be afraid of? If I'm living an overcoming life, what's the big issue? What does it matter? Unless you have something to hide. Amen? I'm helping somebody tonight. I'm helping somebody tonight. So don't make the mistake to think, and I don't know who this is for. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have anybody in mind, but I'm just, I'm just pausing here. I was, I, I, when I was reading through this uh, earlier, studying this Monday, I, I got real excited, but I didn't plan to, to spend this much time. It was only 15 verses, and I'm already taking too long. But don't think I can handle this. It, you're, I, I used to tell this to, to kids. This is showing my age a little bit. But when I was preaching a lot of youth camps, uh, I, I, I said... Your soul is worth more than a dollar at Redbox. Which Redbox, I don't even know if there's Redboxes anymore, thing of the past. But, but your soul, your eternal salvation is worth more than a cheap thrill that a movie can give you, that a sex scene can give you, that anything else can give you. That's not going to fulfill. It is not worth. What would a man... What would a man give in exchange for his soul? That's what Jesus asked. You literally, you mean you literally are going to lay down eternity to pick up some cheap thrill that doesn't even satisfy? God, help us. Help us, Holy Ghost. Strengthen us. Don't, don't be so demanding over what's your right and what's my liberty and bless God, I can do this. Maybe, maybe you can, but maybe there's some things that you ought to say, you know what, I'm not going to do this. Not because, this, what's Paul saying ultimately? I'll jump to the gun. What's he saying? Yeah, maybe you can eat the meat and it's not a big deal, but really, you, you're so hungry that you're going to go to the idol's temple to eat? You mean really that steak is that good that you're going to go into a strip club to eat? I mean, it'd be better for you to eat. Somebody said McDonald's, bless God. 
I was thinking that what's what's the the no the canned hot dogs, little hot dogs. Praise God. Spam. Now I don't I don't I don't want spam. God bless you if you give me spam, I'll take it and I'll pray over it. But But I'll tell you this, I'd rather eat spam in holiness in this life and be a partaker of the marriage supper of the Lamb than to eat all the world has to offer here and to miss out. Amen. All right, read on. Neither let us tempt Christ. Okay, this is another one we could take a long time on. As some of them also tempted. Yes. And were destroyed of serpents. Destroyed. You know what he's referencing there? Okay, for your reference here, uh, for the fornication, you can go to Leviticus 32 and 35 for verse 9, tempting Christ. You can go to Numbers chapter 21. And you know what happened there? They rose up against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and they said, "Who, who ordained you? Who ordained you to be the uh, who ordained you to be the, the the prophet over us? Moses? Why? Why do I have to listen to you? Why can't I be the prophet? And they rejected God and they rebelled against God and they the, but what Paul says, he says they tempted God, they challenged God. And in numbers 24, you know the story where they rose up against God and Dothan and, and uh, uh, is it Abiram? All the people that were involved. He said, Korah, the sons of Korah, they all came together. And so Moses said, okay, we're going to do this test. And we'll, we'll figure out who, who's, who's in authority here. And they went through this. And they rose up. When they tempted Christ, if you go look at it, they literally rose up in spiritual authority. They didn't want anyone being their spiritual authority in their life. I'm going to tell you, you want spiritual authority in your life. I seek out spiritual authority in my life. I want. I have people, I have men and, and women that speak into our marriage, into our life, that are over us, that, that we willingly submit ourselves to. Yes, I know I'm the pastor, but they have a license. If God wakes you up, if God gives you a word, if God has something, you come and you speak into my life. I have a pastor in my life that can speak to me, that can say, Andrew, no. And there have been times in my life where a word has come from a spiritual authority in my life that has told me no, and I thought they were wrong, but I thank God that I had enough sense to obey and submit and see it through and watch God prove himself. It was my protection. But what happened here? They tempted Christ. You know what happened in Numbers 21? Well, two things. Number one, the earth opened up itself, swallowed them whole, and then fire came down from heaven and destroyed them. No, I'm, I'm getting confused. Sorry, I'm talking about the murmuring. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The tempting Christ was when they rose up against him, and the Lord in Numbers 21 sent serpents. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. You remember that? The serpents come. The Bible says fiery serpents came among them and ate them, destroyed them, bit them. And literally what they had to do is it was a prefigure of Christ. He took a serpent, made a golden serpent, put it up on a rod, and that was a prefigure of Christ looking upon him who is accursed. 
and all that looked upon him were saved from the plague, were saved from the disease. But those that refused to look would succumb to the bite of the serpent. So you may get bit by the serpent. Your only hope is to look to Jesus. That was tempting Christ. They did the same thing again in verse 10. Read verse 10. Neither murmur ye. Neither murmur as some of them also murmured. Yes. And were destroyed of the destroyer. And were destroyed of the destroyer. You know what this, this talks about here where the earth opens up and then fire falls out of heaven. When it calls him the destroyer here, this is not, the destroyer is not talking about Satan. It's not talking about Lucifer. It's not talking about the devil. It is talking about the angel of the Lord that executes the judgment of God. The angel of the Lord is the one. Now, some people have referred to it as the death angel. That terminology is, is not scriptural. It's never in scripture. But it was the angel of the Lord that came, that poured out death upon all the firstborn of Egypt. The angel of the Lord would later come when David, in disobedience to God, numbers the people and calls a census. 70,000 people died. The angel of the Lord would come later and wipe out the entire Assyrian army that was besieging Israel. And so what he's saying here is your murmuring activates the angel of the Lord, the destroyer. When you begin to rebel and grumble and murmur, God says, I can't do anything with them. And you activate the judgment of God because you've rejected the grace of God and the mercy of God. Lord, help me. Not to reject the mercy of God at such a level that I activate the judgment of God in my life. This is strong stuff, folks. This is strong, weighty stuff that Paul's bringing to the church there. And he says to them, be careful. Don't think. Well, read the next verse. Now all these things happen unto them for examples. Okay, now here's verse 11. This is so important, and, and this is a tangent but so important because there's three words here you need to highlight under your Bible, and that is this. These things happened. What Paul is definitively doing here is saying the Old Testament is not just an allegory. It is not a mythical tradition. The Old Testament is legit, viable, absolute history. These things happened. There's a lot of secular Christianity, if, if, if that's an oxymoron, that, that would actually say that the Bible is just some kind of an allegory and we just have to take the best precepts and principles from Scripture and put it in our life. No, Paul's saying, no, 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 no. This isn't just a nice little fairy tale to help you along the way. I'm telling you real people died because sin destroyed their life. And if you're not careful, sin, he says, will destroy your life. So read it on. And they are written for our admonition. They are written for our admonition, yes. Upon whom the ends of the world are. Here we are. We are living in this last age, he says. Yes. Verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. All right, now he's getting to the heart of the issue. You think you're so proud. You're, you're so proud in your knowledge. You think you know everything. He said, but really, I'm questioning you. If you're so close to God and you have so much liberty, why do you have to go to the pagan temple to eat? You're telling me you can't find a better place to eat? And he says, you be careful because you're using your liberty to an occasion of the flesh. He says that elsewhere. If I was to take you to Romans, Romans uh, 11 and 20. Oh, I don't know that I have time here, but I'm going to take the time. 
He literally says this. Reference this. If you're writing notes, Romans 11, verses 20 and 21, literally he says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Thou standest by faith. He's talking to the Gentiles. The Israel's left because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. But then he says, be not high-minded, but fear. In that same admonition, Paul's saying, look, don't you stand there and say, look at me, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm so great. He said, no, you ought to stand in the fear of God, understanding that this is an honor that I have the Holy Ghost. I don't just casually walk out and, 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 and not handle what God has given me, but I walk in the fear of the Lord because I don't want to lose out on what God is giving me. And he goes on in verse 21 of Romans 11. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. So there it is. Paul said, you think God is going to give you a pass because you're more special than somebody else? No, he's the same God. Right? Amen. Read on. There have no temptation taken you. All right. There have no temptation taken you, right? What is it? But such as is common. But such as is common to man, as human. You are only dealing with human temptations. You're dealing. Okay, so so read on what he's saying here. But God is faithful. God is faithful. Yes. Will not suffer you to be tempted. All right. Of that ye are able. Yes. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Praise God. Now, most of the time we preach this verse and we rejoice over this verse because. We say, praise God, there's a, there's a way of escape. But what Paul literally is saying here is when you come to a confusing situation, your options are the only, you are never left with only sinful options. There is always a righteous and a moral path forward. So here's the Corinthians say, well, I live in Corinth. Everything's offered to idols. I don't have any choice. I'm going to offend whether I do this or whether I do this. So we might as well all just go down and meet at the local whatever speakeasy. We'll just go and just, you know, let God all sort it out. He said, no, that, that's not the right thing to do. When you're in a confusing situation, the sinful option is never the option. He says, for my God will with every temptation make a way of escape. There will always be a righteous choice in every circumstance you are in. You know what that tells me? That means that sin does not have to be my choice. That no matter where I find myself, God is always giving me another way. There's always another choice. So if you're looking at something right now in your life and you're saying, well, I can sin here or I can sin here. I'm going to do the lesser of two evils. I'll just take this. It's less sin than that sin. That's not the right option. Because according to the word, God is faithful. He won't leave you. He's not going to pull you out of bondage to leave you. He's always going to part the Red Sea. He's always going to give you a path forward. Praise God. That ye may be able to bear it. What he's saying, you can live an overcoming life if you want to live an overcoming life. We don't preach that enough because we come in with a victim mentality. Well, bless God, I just failed. I stumbled. It's their fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's this, it's this and this and this and that. No, 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 God. It's my fault. 
every wrong spirit, every wrong attitude, every wrong thought, every wrong word. It was my fault. It was my wrong. I didn't have to choose it. I chose it. I'm here. I'm saying sorry. I'm standing in need of prayer and I'm going to make the right choice and I'm going to do the right thing. And you can be victorious over sin because God is faithful. Hallelujah. Well, 13 verses is good enough for tonight. Let's stand. Kids, come on down. Come on down. I took, I took enough time. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight online for all those that are.